Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Get German Football News Editor-in-Chief, Daniel Pinder, along with GFFN writers Eric Devin and Philip Bargiel. Well, European domination for French football might have hit the skids slightly this week, but do not fret, there's still a highly entertaining Ligue 1 season to keep us all entertained for now, at least. But before we look at that and a special segment on Frenchmen abroad, here is the latest news. Nantes started off the weekend with a Friday double header, continuing their good run of form as of late, winning 3-1 at home to Dijon to move to 12th place, 10 points ahead of Bastia in 19th. Friday's second match saw Nice stage a dramatic comeback at home to Montpellier, 2-1, with goals, both goals scored by substitute Michael Lebien, who had made his first senior appearance since suffering a broken leg in September 2015. Saturday's early match had Monaco keeping up their assault on the title, winning 2-1 at Gengomp. And in the multiplex, Bordeaux took a page from Nice's book and got two goals from a substitute in Adam Unas to notch uh, to come behind from to notch a come from behind win in 3-2 defeat of Lille at the Stade Pierre Moroy. Le Doge once again plagued by disciplinary issues as they finished with nine men. Angers, meanwhile, looked to have put any relegation worries behind them after a third straight win, 3-0 against Bastia. So let's go move to 11th, just three points off Rennes in 8th. Rennes themselves finally recorded a win, ecking out a 1-0 result despite Lorient's best efforts. While Nancy and Toulouse took the prize for the weekend's dullest match as the two played out to a scoreless draw, at the Stade Marcel Picot. Sunday's early match had Caen at Saint-Étienne, and the Normandy side saw a repeat of their midweek win over Nancy, a 1-0 win, with Ronnie Rodelan doing the honours as a rotated Lever side lacked sharpness in attack. Lyon, however, had no such problems, thumping Mets 5-0 behind a Memphis Depay brace to tighten their grip on fourth ahead of Friday's clash with Informe Bordeaux. In Le Classique, Paris Saint-Germain toyed with the hopes of a sold-out velodrome in a 5-1 win over Marseille to keep pace with Nice. The promotion race in Ligue 2 continues to be a, a gritty concern, with Lens's win over Valenciennes taking them over Amiens and Strasbourg. Both sh suffered shock defeats in the weekend. Brest can move eight points clear of those with the win today at Rance, who themselves could go second if they manage a victory over the leaders. In off-pitch news, Bastia have sacked Francois Ciccolini with immediate effect, bringing in former Red Star boss Rui Almeida to replace the veteran manager. And that's all for the news. But remember, for all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with a look at Frenchmen abroad, and our focus will be specifically on the Bundesliga. It's almost like we got a guest in specifically for this. Thank you for joining us this evening, Dan. Thank you. Uh, let's kick off things with a man I know you know very well and someone who's been a real surprise this season in Anthony Modeste. He's right up there in the scoring charts with 17, just behind the big two of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Robert Lewandowski. Just how good has he been for Cologne this season? Yeah, so as you as you mentioned, uh, he has 17 goals this season, which puts him behind 
Aubameyang and Lewandowski who are tied with 19. I think the interesting thing about this is that Modest has actually scored 17 of the 31 uh, league goals that Cologne have scored this season, uh, which just goes to show how important he is as they look to qualify for a place in next season's Europa League. Um, as a former Lineo signing from Hoffenheim, uh, at the time I thought this was a little steep. Uh, his debut season for Cologne, he actually scored 15 goals, which I'm not sure, but I think that's at the time it was tied his career best, which was Basti with 15 goals as well. And his goals last season helped Cologne record their highest ever finish in 24 years. Um, this season, he's just blown everyone out, out of the water, exceeded expectations. Uh, he has his 17 goals this season, and over the weekend, uh, Clone Sporting Director, he actually revealed that the club turned down a 50 million euro bid from a Chinese club, which for any team, that's a staggering amount, especially in the Bundesliga. But them rejecting that just goes to show his importance to Clone and their ambitions to qualify for Europe. Um, it's also worth noting that Cologne were the first season to take points from Bayern Munich this season with Modeste getting the equaliser, whilst he has a high average uh, shots per game at 3.2. At 28 years old, he's now entering the prime of his career. Um, it's actually worth noting that Thomas Bertold actually joked the other week saying that because he hasn't played for France, he should get a German citizenship, lead the line for them at, at Russia, in Russia. But I think with Giroud and Griezmann, I don't know what you think, but I think Modeste would be another good option for Didier Deschamps, just for that third option heading into the World Cup next year. Yeah, that's a perfect opportunity to bring in Eric here, I think. And and he's he's made a good mention there. Modeste has been, um, well, he was a little bit of a modest career, shall we say, at Blackburn Rovers and at Hoffenheim. He was maybe a little bit under the radar. He did register relatively double figures relatively relatively often eventually at least but um is he another option with like, someone like Giroud who's a very similar body type and a very similar style of striker at least could he be an option for for Le Bleu going forward uh he could be uh, I don't know I, I think that we've thrown with this in the past that being Didier Deschamps bizarre loyalties whether that's starting Moussa Sissoko not picking Alexander Lacazette bringing Andre Pierginiak to certain tournaments to certain call-ups. I, I think that's the issue, and I think that it's pointless to try and read Deschamps' mind in this regard. But is he deserving of at least a look-in and a friendly? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if there are early season friendlies, or end of the season friendlies, rather, uh, come come late uh, late May, early June, I'm not sure if there are this year, that Modest certainly would be willing to, at least a, a, a look-in to see how, he's, how he would fit in. I know that he's also going to be under increased uh, competition from the likes of Kevin Gamero, who's had a, a high and low season with Atletico Madrid, but has looked very good uh, teaming up with Griezmann and the two of them did play together. So there's some certainly some mitigating uh, circumstances there with the French national team, but has Modeste done enough to at least earn, earn, a, earn a recall? You know, whether he starts, whether he plays half an hour in a friendly, uh, I think the answer has to be yes. 
yeah, I, I think he might be an interesting option, and I am a I am a big fan of his celebration as well. But we'll keep that on the down low. Um, let's talk about uh, someone who really excelled in Liga last season, Daniel, and he's he's continued that form in the Bundesliga, and that's Usman Dembele. He's a he's a sensational talent, and has he transformed that in the Bundesliga as well? Are they raving about him just as much as we did last season? Everyone's talking about him. Um, one thing I think, if you ask any Dortmund fan, when any Dortmund fans when they signed him I don't think half of them expected Dembele to feature this much but um, in the early stages of his career at Dortmund unfortunately Marco Royce was injured so he had the job of going straight in there and filling the boots of arguably their best player of the past three or four years um, he started out on the left in pre-season but when Royce returned Thomas Tuchel moved him to the right side where he excelled even more. He created a great understanding with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang there. But now I think credit where it's due, uh, Thomas Tuchel has done the unthinkable and actually moved him into centre midfield, which I don't think anyone saw that coming. But he's really, really excelling more than anyone now. He started his last six games there and... It's likely he'll play in that position for the rest of the season. Uh, overall, he's scored six goals and 30 appearances in all competitions, 13 assists already, and he's a nightmare for defences in his new role with the skills that he has and not knowing where or what he's going to do next. Um, obviously, he was likened to Cristiano Ronaldo in the past, and he's no doubt living up to that expectation. And he's... Arguably the centrepiece of Tuchel's side this season, he's created 56 chances in all competitions, which is the most from any player in that team. Almost 20 ahead of the second best, Gonzalo Castro. Coming into the Dortmund side, fans expected Mkhitaryan Gondouan to stay, but their departures have hit Dortmund hard, but now they have a new icon in Dembele. And whilst in the first half of the season he was still quite raw, his decision-making seemed off, whilst he would often lose a ball in key areas. Now that he's moved into that centre midfield role, he can really dictate the tempo. I think what Tuckle's done well is he's really coaching him one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, in the first half of the season, when he was raw, uh, he had 7.83 take-ons, and compared that to 2017, that's gone down to 3.86. But in short, he's proven a great investment for Dortmund and I have no doubt he'll be one of the best players for years to come. Yeah. Go ahead, Philip. What, what I like about Tuchel is what's hit, what, uh, how, how, he protects, uh, how he protected him uh, so far and uh, how Dortmund seemed to be the kind of club that protects uh, that, kind of, uh, that kind of player. He's had 14 starts in the Bundesliga and he got served uh in in nine of those so it's it's really it's really good um protection from tuchel but i'm i'm really quite surprised to to hear you say that and uh yeah i've been i've been looking back at the uh at the team sheets of the last few games and uh yeah it's it it's uh it's quite surprising to see someone with so much pace and so much uh uh dribbling skill being 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 driven uh inside so uh is is he is he like uh the uh Box to box type, or is he maybe playing a bit behind the two strikers in a three-five-two? And does it? I mean, does it work? Uh, his work ethic with uh, Julian Weigel, with Gonzalo Castro. 
Yeah, I mean, more often not, like you said, it's been a 3-5-2 formation that they have been playing. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's been a fat three in that midfield, and sometimes he's pushed further forward. Obviously, he's known for his dribbling, but one thing that Tuckle actually pointed out was that people haven't really picked up on his uh, through ball skills and he can he has a re- real eye for a pass. That's extremely interesting, especially for France, because uh, apart from Griezmann, we don't really have anyone. Well, we have Ben Arthur, but he's not, hasn't uh, had the chance of being played by Deschamps. Uh, got a hunch that that won't happen anytime soon so it's really it's really good to, to see that Dembele is an option on the wing and in in the center maybe playing behind uh playing behind uh Giroud or like that that could be it could be pretty good yeah I think, I think that was a really interesting point that Tuchel spotted that yeah ability to put the through balls in because I, I noticed that quite often when he was playing but I didn't never thought he could play in center midfield that's a really interesting move by no him. idea yeah a, a real forward thinking coach though really isn't it yeah um, Let's talk about someone who's only recently joined the Bundesliga and he's spent a long time in Liga and that's Paul Georges and Pep who's gone to Wolfsburg. He's sort of formed their, their new wing partnership with uh, Eunice Marley as well. How has he started in his short time so far in Germany, Daniel? Yeah, this, in my opinion, this has been a bit of a strange one. Um, obviously, there's no doubt in his abilities as he has shown in the past, but Wolfsburg just aren't using him as he thought he would when he arrived. Um, they've just sacked their manager who played in a 352 uh, formation. And obviously he played on the left and I'm not sure that suits in Tep style of play running up and down the wing. But the new manager that they have brought in, if he plays a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, if he plays on the left side of attack, then, you know, Wolfsburg need a, play, a direct player like him because at the minute they're stuck in a rut down at the bottom of the Bundesliga and they need someone of Intep's quality to sort of like fire them up a bit. Yeah, and Eric, we met, he had a fine debut I watched for Wolfsburg where they really had a bit of an attacking intent, but hearing that he's playing as a win-back is probably almost definitely not Intep's kind of style, is it? Well, I mean, we don't really know. The thing is, during his time at Rennes, this season at least, I don't think that he necessarily fit into what Gorkouf was trying to do. I think that objectively he probably looks best used in a 4-3-3, but that hadn't been the case at Rennes lately either. So I think that there is something to be said for his positional adaptability. I, I would say that based on what I've seen. I watch Dortmund often. I watch other German teams to some extent, and I would say that there is a little bit more positional nous in the Bundesliga compared to Liga, and I would say that there's there's definitely something to be said for, again, the same thing with Dembele, for potentially adapting a player's style uh, and taking taking these bits of talent that we see and and making putting the player into what might seem an unorthodox positional choice, but having to work out. So having not seen Intep in this formation, I, I would say I'm a little bit surprised, but I would also say that, you know, there is, but there could be potential there for a positional switch for some level of adaptability. And we've seen that with other players coming into German football as well. I mean, we'll get to talk about them as well, but Jean-Philippe Gababin has been used differently uh, in Germany than he had been in France as well. So I think that, you know, we're pundits, we watch a lot of football, but 
uh, we don't have the level of knowledge of a player's skill set uh, that's as intimate as, as do managers and, and coaches who are observing these players on a, on a daily basis. So, yeah, I think that if there's a matter of positional flexibility, positional, positional adaptability, it can only serve to, to further these players' careers. And let's not forget, in Tep is 24, 25, he's still a fairly young player and hasn't doesn't actually have a lot of miles, on, as it were, due to his injury history. Yeah, and since we're on the subject of Wolfsburg, uh, if I if I may ask, I know he's not a player, but he is French. Uh, Valerie Ismail, I uh, was extremely uh, surprised that Wolfsburg made such a risky choice uh, when they appointed him. Not completely uh, completely surprised he got he got sacked. I mean, how, how was he was he did he start off luckily and then was uh, rightfully sacked, or was he uh, given a rough treatment by a, a club that has gotten quite Big given uh, given the last couple of seasons, they were champions not that long ago. They made a wonderful uh, season when they finished second to Bayern. Uh, De Bruyne having an outstanding season. I mean, what what kind of stay has it been for Ismail, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think as interim he won two out of four, which then gave him the job. But mm. since then, he's lost something like five out of his last nine games. Mm. Just just off the top here. Um, Lost 2-1 at Bremen at the weekend. Lost 3-0 to Dortmund. Surprisingly, they only lost 1-0 to Bayern Munich, but they've lost to Gladbach and Augsburg. But coming from the under-23 team, I just don't think he has the capabilities to manage at high level just yet. But did anyone think he, he, he was able to, I mean, to keep the job and until until the very end, it didn't look. I mean, it didn't look like an inspired choice. That's what I was saying, especially when you when you saw his stint at Nuremberg, which yeah, I, I mean, think as well. Um, what happened was uh, they got rid of Dieter Hecken earlier yeah. than they had planned. If they mm. kept him until the winter break or the season, then they had that time to find a manager. But I don't think they really wanted him in the first place. But because Hecking went earlier than expected, they had to promote him up from the, from the under-23s. And then later on in his career, the Wolfsburg fans just stopped backing him and they didn't really want him in charge from the off. Yeah, it went backwards pretty quickly. I want to circle back to a player that Eric perfectly led us on to for a moment, and that's Jean-Philippe Gabin, who didn't have... Yeah, you know, it's it's a good season in Ligue 1. There was a lot expected of him, and I watched him earlier this season at Mainz, actually, and I thought he, he did a decent job. How do you think the young man's doing at, uh, at the Mainz North Front at the moment, um, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, since his, I didn't watch him prior to his move, but he's been someone I've been really impressed with. Um, he's been featuring in, in centre midfield for, for Mainz this season, but he's also played centre-back and right-back. His style of play sort of reminds me of the mix between Yaya Toure and Blaise Matuidi. And since the departure of Johannes Geis, I think he's become an integral part of Martin Schmidt's side this season. He started 17 Bundesliga games out of 22. And he's also played five times in the Europa League, which for someone that young of an age is quite, quite a big thing for him. He, he is a bit raw in some places, a couple of things he does need to improve on, which will no doubt 
come with experience is his concentration and discipline. Sometimes he'll be seen ball watching, whilst another time he might go wandering towards the ball, even behind him open. But Mines will want to try and keep him in that seat, in that side. But I think if he continues playing in, as he is playing and improve, then I do think we'll see him at a bigger club in the future. Yeah, we've seen a couple of feisty moments as well. It's maybe the best way to put it <laughs> for the youngster as well this season. Um, let's do a little bit of a quick fire round then. So we've got a couple more still to go through. So we've got the, the obviously the two at Bayern, probably the big two hitters, and that's Kingsley Coman, who's just returned from injury, and similar-ish Frank Ribery. How are those two doing this season? Yeah, so Coman's missed 19 games in all competitions this season. He's got a big couple of months coming up now, considering... He's nearing an end of his two-year loan from Juventus. He came back against Hamburg in Bayern's 8-0 drubbing, scored two goals and they were well taken. Um, he did have a drop of form at the end of Pep era, but now, like Ribery, Bayern could really use his direct style of play. And then going on to Ribery, he's again someone who has missed a lot of the season. Bayern have looked lethargic in the games that he hasn't played in and the 13 games that he has played in he has seven assists so he's someone that Bayern have really missed this season uh, since his move from Marseille he's actually played 339 games 108 goals and 166 assists and I think that Ribery is a more important player to Bayern now than he was when he first joined in 2007 yeah, which is a crazy statement to say to say how good he was when he when he first joined. And he got that European Football of the Year back in 2013 as well. Great footballer. But finally, really, for Frenchmen in Germany, at least, and that's um, someone who's sort of outlined it as he's not been in Ligue 1 for a little while, but that's Benjamin Stambouli, who had a pit stop at Tottenham that didn't quite work out. How is his season at Schalke going? Yeah, this is still a move that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Schalke have Goretzka and Johannes Geis. They also have Nabil Bentaleb. And they're all playing ahead of him. So at the minute, he's fourth choice. And then they have the one of the best youth academies in Germany. So I'm struggling to see where he's going to get a lot of playing time at Schalke in the future. And should they qualify for the Champions League, I'm not sure he's a player of that calibre. Mm. Yeah, and... and... <laughs> It seems like the the story of his career since he's left Montpellier, unfortunately, for the youngsters. Yeah, it doesn't look yeah. like he's going to stay. No, it again. No. Yes, it, uh, maybe a move back to France might uh, mm. might reinvigorate him. But just before you leave, Daniel, I thought we would do our service as well and talk about couple, the couple of Germans in Liga, and I'll throw the first one at you, Philip, and that's Julian Draxler, who do, joined in January. How's he yeah. settled in at PSG? Yeah, he he came under a lot of pressure. Um, Given he he was uh, he was bought by Wolfsburg from Schalke to replace Kevin Kevin De Bruyne and that well sort of didn't didn't really work out and um, he's he started um, 2017 extremely extremely well scoring some very very important goals he scored against Barça he scored last night against uh, Marseille which means uh, which means a lot to, to the fans um, and uh, many pundits are saying that uh, he's the reason Di Maria is playing better because he's providing uh, competition and I honestly believe that he is playing possibly uh, one of his uh, one of his best football. He was a great prospect at Schalke. Um, my personal opinion is that Wolfsburg never really kicked off 
uh, that he could uh, be doing uh, much better. But uh, you know, that's uh, that's life. And they started off uh, really, really well, which is uh, which is great. It's great for Piaget, it's great for Di Maria, it's great for uh, French football in general because uh, they just beat Barcelona four 0 and yeah, and he's he's although he's been in and out of the team, he's been a he's proved in, in one way or the other to be a really good signing. And and, and finally, Eric, you get the mention on the other German, and he also plays for the champions. Uh, that's Kevin Trapp, who's finally really broke back into the side after uh, being sort of disposed by Alphonse Ariola. Is he now the number one for moving forward? Oh, absolutely. I think that the mistakes we've seen from Ariola in the recent past speak to that. It's Ariola is a wonderful prospect. He deserves the call-ups he's had for France in the recent past, but the, the fact of the matter is his handling isn't what it needs to be, and for that reason, that Trap has been has been good. He's got a good physical presence. He's a good reflex keeper. Could Ariola eventually surpass him? Sure, but I think that I think that we've just seen too much from Trap this season. That their the level right now is that he's he's in good form and he's you know he doesn't get called into action a lot. But when he has been, he's been he's been ready to react and, and ready to demonstrate that he's he's ready to lead this team on to you know I think untold heights this season based on what we've seen in the past couple of months from this team. Yeah, and he's got that remarkable ability of another or a more famous German keeper of being a showing his sweeper keeper skills in the last couple of weeks as well, which has been. Really good to see you. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us this evening. Uh, you can follow Daniel on Twitter on at Daniel uh, Daniel J Pinder, isn't it, Daniel? I'm just getting it right. Yeah, <laughs> give him a follow. Give get, get get German football news a follow as well. They do some terrific stuff. Some excellent podcasts of their own as well. So, thank you for joining us, Daniel. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we move on now to Liga action, and it, we start with last night, which saw French football's biggest match turn into a bit of a massacre. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain pummeled Marseille 5-1 at the Velodrome, which I'm sure you thoroughly enjoyed, Philip. Um, was the margin of victory surprising in the end, or was this kind of coming in a way? Well, actually, I, I was more surprised in the beginning because uh, you just knew that uh, the, drubbing was, the drubbing was coming. I just didn't expect um, for it to come so soon. I expected much more battle and much more, uh, shall we say, uh, less bad defending. Uh, I wasn't uh, wasn't expecting Marseille to do, to defend like they did at the Parc des Princes, or at least I wasn't I wasn't hopeful for that because it was uh, it was a shocking game to to watch the one um, one the corresponding feature in Paris. Um, but uh, on the on the other on the other hand, uh, two quick fire two quick fire goals, uh, another goal scored, which was um, which was only uh, only uh, given given offside. Um, and um, the worst part is that you know uh, Piaget didn't didn't do much about scoring those goals, and Marseille were given the ball in the first half, weren't, weren't that bad with the ball, trying to to do something, but uh, just didn't have the the killer instinct. And uh, and Piaget actually slacked in the second half. They didn't they didn't defend uh, very seriously uh, because you, that's what you do when you're when you're three or four nil up. You just say, okay, game over. What 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 we're we gonna do now? So uh, yeah, an emphatic, uh, an emphatic win, a historic uh, win. Uh, I am extremely disappointed that no fans was able to get into the stadium for a, a rather, a rather silly, a rather lame excuse. Was your saw it is uh, a lame excuse being of uh, all the uh, police trouble um, surrounding um, French French society uh, these days, um, especially in uh, Parisian 
in Parisian and, and Marseille suburbs, which are uh, you know the hot hot suburbs. Um, and it's a it's a shame because a couple of buses uh, very well could have uh, could have been um, taken down to uh, to Marseille with uh, a couple of thousand-ish PSG fans uh, to celebrate uh, to celebrate the victory and uh, with uh, even especially with with Vélodrome uh, completely packed. So that's uh, that's my only disappointment. But the players were actually uh, welcomed back as heroes uh, uh, back in uh, back in Paris. So it's good, but uh, it's a bit of a shame that. Eric, how good were PSG, but how bad were Marseille in this one? I, th- I think that it, it tends to be more of the former. I think that PSG were at their, well, not their absolute best. I mean, I think we would have to save that for the match against Barcelona, but they were really, really good. Uh, they pressed high up the pitch. They, the midfield had that amoeba-like shape. It was narrow. It was wide. Pastore tracked back. Lucas tracked back and just totally choked Marseille off. And we were used to seeing, you know, attacking proclivity from Marseille's fullbacks, maybe not so much Evera, but certainly Sakai. But Pastore was with him every step of the way. He and Kurzawa were masterful shuttling up and down that left side. Lucas did the same thing on the opposite flank. And the midfield tucked in to keep keep Marseille's uh, back four a little bit more narrow, keep that midfield tucked together and, I think that they also played with a really high level of, of physicality, and Marseille struggled to adapt to that as well. I think that there was effort on the part of Marseille, likes of Florian Tovan, likes of Dimitri Payet, uh, tracking back. But let's face it, the physical presence that PSG's midfield has in comparison to those players, they ended up making a lot of in- ineffective tackles, and perhaps you could even make a case that there should have been a, f- a few more cards handed out to Marseille players, the likes of Lopez trying to get the ball off Rabio is only going to end one way. Uh, so, yeah, I think that Emery got this totally right. Tactically, personnel-wise, he showed the players that did play showed a real hunger, and I think that there you know, might have been some questions surrounding the team's ability in, in that, you know, the fitness of Pastore, you know, the, how much Lucas is going gonna, is gonna want, to want this, and, and they all performed incredibly well. So not, there's not much to there's not much really to say other than you know well done to Emery to get this team up and get the team re- get the team ready to to fight and and to pick players who I think like this whole squad top to bottom is is hungry and ready to play no matter what the occasion is and we can look at a match like Toulouse last last weekend and say maybe that's more down to Toulouse's defending than it is to anything that uh, that PSG did wrong this team. I still would narrowly favor Monaco for the title, given that PSG have a bit of a tougher run-in. But the depth that the team has and the way that every single player from 1 to 23 is is ready to play for this team, that I think that, that might end up giving them the edge. Philip, one of the real positives that came out of that for the last season for PSG was uh, Javier Pastore starting again and, and creating a wonderful assist for Cavani's first goal. Um, how good is it to have a player of that calibre back in the side? It could very well change the season. It could also uh, create some kind of uh, a conundrum for Unai because he did uh, he did buy Draxler because he was running out of options of uh, that front three, the front three being Lucas. Lucas Di Maria and um, 
and Cavani. Um, so having passed over, I was actually quite surprised to see him being uh, being placed on 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 the wing. Um, or given he, it wasn't um, it wasn't his. Uh, it was actually one of his first starts for a while, um, and uh, being being under running, running forward, having to uh, having to defend on on Sakai, was a bit uh, was a bit much to ask, I thought. But then again, he put himself in the in the middle of the pitch with all the with all the physicality. I mean, it was a it was a big choice. It was a big choice by by Unai. I was I was actually quite surprised to see him to see him start, but uh, he's proven that you know he's he is match fit, and uh, uh, we all hope that he it stays that way. Um, for the title race against against Monaco and uh, for the Champions League, his uh, layoff on Cavani's goal was uh, was very good. It uh, completely outplayed the Marseille defence, and uh, that's what uh, that's what he's there for as well. I mean, and there, this is this is where I agree with Eric with in terms of squad depth. I mean, without Pastore, the squad depth is okay, uh, but with him, it's. Uh, Completely, it completely changes uh, changes things. He went up for Draxler. A couple of minutes later, Draxler Draxler scores a fourth. When in in a time where PSG may may um, would have rested on their laurels earlier, um, it's it just it just brings more hungry player and uh, you know just so so many of them. So definitely something to to look forward to. Absolutely. Yeah, and let's touch on Marseille before we finish on this topic, Eric. And they were pretty bad defensively. And it also shows how much they still have to do in this project in that sort of regard where they've lost a few games heavily to these bigger sides in Liga. Is there a pressure on Garcia? Not not necessarily significant enough to say he's, he's under real pressure, but to improve the performances against these these bigger sides because they've been simply outplayed in all three of those games against Leon, Marse- uh, Leon PSG and uh, Monaco this season. Well, they also did beat Leon in the cup. I mean, I, I think that if Garcia is guilty of anything, it's not it's of not taking a holistic enough view of his team. He, when they had played PSG in that scoreless draw earlier in the season. He set the team about up very defensively, and he got a very creditable point on the road, kept the clean sheet. And I think that because Marseille's fans still consider this team a big team, quote-unquote, I think that there's an issue surrounding that, and that he, as a manager, feels perhaps an undue pressure, an unrealistic expectation to play in a positive tacky manner, no matter the circumstances. And that that pressure perhaps wasn't there when he first came into the team as he was getting his feet wet, getting acclimated. But now you had that run of four straight wins in a row in the league uh, in early winter, late autumn. And I think that that perhaps artificially raised expectations for some of these fans. We brought these players in, Sanson, Taye, maybe even searches to some extent, are players that can help this team move forward. And I think that there was a almost a sort of a desperate willingness on the part of some of these fans to see Marseille where they were three and four years ago, challenging for challenging for the title, challenging for the Champions League. The fact of the matter is that level of talent is not there yet. It may be there in six months' time when the 2017-18 season starts, but right now it's not there. And Garcia has always had a proclivity for attacking football, but what he should be doing right now is realizing this team's limitations and playing to them, 
you know, whether that's playing three at the back, bringing in Doria perhaps in a match like this, or I mean, Morgan Sanson was a big absence, I should say, yesterday as well. That's a, another caveat that I don't think I've seen Munchen too much. He, he didn't, he's been a fantastic player for Montpellier and Marseille this season. But I don't think that Garcia is approaching this holistically enough. Against a side like PSG in the form that they're in, yes, they had a draw at the weekend before, but they're in really good form in 2017. So there's no reason to think that you can go toe-to-toe with them, especially giving up so much as, as, as they do uh, physically compared to the likes of Rabio, Verratti, and Matuidi. So I, th- I think that was the issue, that Garcia is just not approaching this with the right level of, of, of realism, to be frank. Marseille aren't at the level of those teams you mentioned. I don't, I don't, they're not even at the level of Leon, despite their struggles this season. They're certainly not at the level of the teams that are in the top three. And that being the case, I think that they just need to dial it down and, and play defensively against the better sides. And then maybe they could have you know, got the odd result and not get these repeated, potentially emotionally damaging, to be frank, results that they've been they've been getting against the likes of Monaco, the likes of PSG. They could get again this midweek. They've got Monaco again in the Coupe de France. It's, it's something that Garcia really needs to take a look at. If they don't get European football this year, it's not really that big of a deal. But the psychological damage that could be, be put in place, I think could make it a, quite a bit harder for this team to advance next season. They're going to naturally see themselves, key players in this team are going to naturally perhaps, even subconsciously, see themselves as an inferior side as a result of these beatings that they've been handed up this year. And I think that needs to be corrected for this team to really move forward. That playing within their means should be the priority right now. We've already said this before. Uh, losing at home to PSG, Lyon and Monaco for a side of Marseille's defence um, and uh, Marseille's overall quality is nothing to be ashamed of. It's a manner of the defeat and yes, Garcia sh- probably should have adopted a more defensive manner but I think we are all very, very happy that he didn't do that. Otherwise, we would have had the same game that we had um, a couple of months back. Um, saying this, he has played against the top three sides in uh, in top. Sorry, three three of the top four sides in the league, and uh, his running is is actually quite quite decent. Now we, he, he's got sides like Lorient, Gilles, Lille, Dijon, Toulouse, Saint-Etienne, nancy I mean, apart from Nice, nice and Bordeaux, and probably Saint-Etienne, which will be a mid april I mean, all these games are extremely winnable, and uh, quite frankly, no disrespect to their fans, more more up Marseille's alley. And, you know, now, now the seven points behind Lyon, I don't think they'll overcome this uh, this uh, this gap because, first of all, you are in, in decent form and they do have this game in hand. I have no idea when it's going to be played. Um, and um, I think they, just, they should just focus on, on finishing of the three uh, best place between themselves, Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne, which will be between fifth, sixth and seventh. And it's not really not impossible that they do that. I mean, Bordeaux are in fine form, yes. Um, they beat uh, Lille Sides are a bit ill, uh, shall we say. Uh, Saint-Étienne have shown that they are extremely beatable and that their attack are not uh, not that good. So, you know, uh, putting all all your eggs in the same basket and push for fifth is not, uh, you know, not that bad. And it's nothing, and it, once again, it's nothing to be ashamed of. No, and I, I, we mentioned on the previous show as well um, in midweek, Eric, that I thought that they maybe should have gone a bit more conservative, and if they went a bit, if they went for anything a little bit too adventurous, they might get hammered. And so it came to pass. So it be said. <laughs> um, let's talk about another 
team, and that's it's Monaco who got over their midweek heartache of a loss to Manchester City with a good win away to Gangomp. Uh, Philip, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Champions League tie very quickly because obviously mm. me and Eric mentioned it on Thursday. Uh, did Monaco throw away a great opportunity at the Etihad? Yes, of course. Uh, you have the chance to score a penalty. Why didn't Fabinho take it? I'm sure. I'm sure it's been said that I, uh, by everybody uh, into into French football. Fabinho has a 100% record. Falcao just uh, well didn't didn't do. I can't really criticize him too much because of the love he did a couple of um, a couple of um, minutes later. What really pissed me off was uh, the system Jardim um, tried. Why didn't go? Not all all gung ho conservative, but uh, more pressure and more more uh, tactically astute, like he like he did at uh, at the Parc des Princes, playing uh, uh, some kind of variant of a four three three, extremely uh, uh, pressing. But uh, there it was it was like a four four two, which resembled a four two four with Bernard, Bernardo Silva and Lamar pressing on each wing, and. It, it just uh, it just it just shows that you had Fabinho and Bakayoko who had to deal with De Bruyne, had to deal with Silva, with Sane, with Aguero. It was just far too much to to deal with. And I'm sorry, it was naive. It was incredibly naive. So yes, it it wasn't what um, lost Monaco the the game, and the tie is not is not over yet. But I'm quite frankly, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm quite pessimistic if Jardim keeps up with this formation. Um, of course, Subasic should, should probably should have saved. Uh, actually, not probably. He should have saved the um, uh, Aguero shots, and uh, Monaco shouldn't be conceding goals on, on set pieces. But um, it, it really is a, a shame because Monaco are capable of scoring goals this, this season more than more than uh, any any other season in their history. Um, it's absolutely amazing the amount of goals they've been scoring, and it just. We ha just haven't been accustomed to to them being so rubbish at the back, especially Sidibe. This this is probably Sidibe's worst game ever. Uh, Gleek was not accustomed to playing next to Raji. Raji actually didn't didn't have that turbo game, but uh, Gleek got a got a caution very early on. He's not playing in the second leg. It's just um yeah I'm I'm a bit pessimistic. Don't mm. know about I don't know if you if you talked about it on Thursday. I'm quite pessimistic about there's a tie in general. Um, these is a return leg. How Monaco will have to score two goals? How they have to uh, not concede too much? Otherwise, they'll have to score other two goals. Yes, they scored three goals away from home, but they also conceded five, which means you know probably don't deserve to uh, to progress. Which is a real shame because they, I mean, they can have them, no problem. I mean, they 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 could have they could have won at uh, the Etihad, no problem, but they didn't. I, th I think on Thursday we came to the conclusion that it's not quite over, but um, I am a little bit worried that a goal can really, again, from City will probably end it, I would think. But yeah. let, let a quick mention on their, their game at the weekend, Eric, and they, they beat Gangomp 2-1, obviously went 2-0 ahead as well. Um, they, that keeps them at the top of the table with still a three-point gap and that massive goal difference. Are they still title favourites for you? Yes, but the gap's definitely a lot more narrow than it has been with the form PSG have shown. I think that we're starting to see some signs of wear with with Monaco, particularly the likes of Sidibe, Fabinho, Bakayoko. I think all, all three of them. I, I think that I think you Philip mentioned that Sidibe had one of his worst matches ever. But and the question is, he was a doubt medically. Should he have been mm. played given the form of Palmami Torre? Mm. I would I would lean towards no, frankly. I, I think know. that. 
I, I think that, you know, a midfield of Fabinho and Moutinho may have been a little bit more conservative, but I mean, let's face it, if, if this match ends up being 2-1 instead of 5-3, then what do we think of Monaco's chances? They've got an away goal. It's easy enough to see them recording a 1-0 result at the Stade Louis de in two weeks' time. But that, that wasn't the case. They got, they got blown out of the water. Jardim overreached. And now he's got to deal with trying to not only recover this tie, but compete still on four fronts. There's, there's the cup match this week. Marseille would probably be not – they probably would be favored to go through against Marseille. And you still got to manage these players. I mean, I, I think that he should be giving more chances to some of these younger players. Torre is an obvious shout, but there's Abdou Diallo, who's looked decent when he's coming at center back. There's Kevin Indoram. I'm not sure why they sent Adama Traore out on loan. I think he looked decent when he was fit. I just think that there's more there's more to be said for these some of these younger players that haven't been getting a chance. I know Bashili is a big miss as a winger, but same thing with Carrillo. Nabil Dirar has been solid, if not spectacular, when called upon. I, I just think that Jardim is, frankly, wearing these players down, playing this highly energetic style, and it's it, it fits them now, and it could have a chance to bite them again. They've still got some potentially treacherous matches to play. I mean, I think that we saw against Leon in the league that that's a match they could drop points at. And, you know, yeah, they've already played PSG and they've already played Nice, their direct rivals. But I think that especially if, if we're going down to the last three or four weeks of the season and they play teams that are threatened with that relegation playoff spot or even that relegation spot and they're still alive, we can't count out, you know, a relegation-threatened team playing above its means and Monaco being caught out because these players are simply shattered after a long season. Let's not forget, their first matches were in late July against Fenerbahce. They've been going for a long, long time, seven months now. And that's you know much more than, than Nice have Nice have had. That's much more than PSG have had in terms of the, the sheer number of matches played. You know, Progressing in the Coupe de la Ligue as well, they're yet to be knocked out of the competition. And these are players you could look at playing 60, 60 matches by the end of the season. And that's you know, that's a hell of a lot of matches considering Jardim's rotation policy. That's a lot of football, isn't it? It's very frustrating, it. though. I mean, the way he 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 um, prepared this tactically, it's, it's something I noticed uh, toward, um, uh, regarding Mancini, uh, not Mancini, Pellegrini at Manchester City. Why does he play such a dangerous such a dangerous formation. Why doesn't he go more more cautiously? And and I mentioned it last week. He said it, it, it would be a suicide mission to play four four two in that type of game, and it and it was. I mean, no matter even if you score three goals, it, you still have a, an absolutely terrible result to deal with uh, for the return. I just don't get why he does it, and especially since he was so conservative last season. So it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, he is I he's a. Yeah. I don't think it's the system, Philip. I think it's Jardim's failure to, to adapt the personnel and to make the substitutions in a pattern that makes sense to get the result. If, mm. Look, if you're up 3-2, if, you're, if or if the match is tied 2-2 or 3-3, bring on Moutinho, bring on Gerard, shut, shut the game down. Maybe, mm. worst case scenario, at that point you lose 4-3. 4-3 is a fine result. Three away goals and, and you only need yeah. to win by one. I'd take that back to Stade Louis if I were Jardim. But now 5-3 and... And who knows, you know, Guardiola's teams are superb at keeping the ball. Uh, I'm not sure how well they can shut things down with that defense, but now you're really behind the eight ball. And I think yeah. I think Jardine got it wrong for perhaps... Yeah, he did, he did. The, ...the first time... So you mean in terms of the timing of the substitutions? And who they were. I mean, look... Yeah. 
Val Ejerman has been a great servant this season, but why are you bringing him on in place of Kylian Mbappe? Who, yeah, is tiring. He's a young kid playing a big match for the first time. But bring on Moutinho, bring on Gerard, bring on Amami Torre. Shut that match down, and he didn't do that. And that, you know, that's now with, you know, potentially players leaving in the summer, this could be one of the greatest what-ifs. Missed, missed in, occasions. In, missed opportunities, yeah, exactly, mm. in the history of, of Ligue 1. Yes, yeah. you know, uh, a, a, a damn shame. I mean, I I would have I would have swapped um maybe Mbappe, uh, Mbappe for uh for uh, Moutinho or or Gerard after Falcao's lob. Yeah, that's they, me. But yeah. it's easy to say, you know. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Me, merely, we are merely pundits. We we're not yeah. we're not in the dugout. Yeah, and let's move on to another team who okay. performed really well in, in champion. Well, in the Europe and did pretty well this weekend as well, and that's Leon who won five 0 at Mets. Uh, Eric, just quickly, was this Memphis's coming out party for Leon? Uh, <laughs> uh, two goals, great. One of them was really well taken, but he missed probably three times as many chances. I'm still not sold. No, and and Mets, look, we've talked before about this team and how horrible their positioning can be. Uh, particularly in defense, and I think that Bayou, Signorino, Follett had a decent match, but the other three of that back four were awful. Mm -hmm. Awful, awful. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, there were some really well-taken goals by Leon in that match, but it, yeah, I'd like to see it done, done against a better opposition. Bordeaux I, uh... or, uh, at a higher level this Friday, I'm really looking forward to that match, given the form that Bordeaux are in. So let's see what Leon can do in response to that, but I'm yeah, Memphis has much more to prove for me as 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 an observer and as a fan. I'm I'm so happy you're taking that stance because I I was seeing everybody creaming over over him on Twitter and saying, I mean, yeah, sure, he got two goals, but first of all, uh, the first one was a tap in with literally no one in in the goal mouth. Uh, second, he was pretty lucky to, to get past past the defender. And I'm not sure if you agree with this, Eric, but when he did that pass for uh, Lacazette when he wanted to give the ball to Lacazette. I'm, I'm not even sure the pass was a good one and that it would have reached Lacazette if uh, Ivan wouldn't have put the ball back in his own net. So I, I completely agree that Depay had a... Yeah, it was it was fine, but, you know, that's not that's not what you're paid the money for. Hmm. I, I, I will state my claim of Memphis is, is maybe slightly a... Uh, seemingly a carbon copy of, of Nanny and uh, how, good lord how he frustrated me so uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> good luck with that one um, let's move on to the team you mentioned very briefly then Eric and that's Bordeaux who, who do play Lyon on Friday night and it does look an interesting encounter because they're the form team really in France at the moment they beat Lille 3-2 at the weekend to maintain their current run of 8 wins in 12 that's in all competitions with only 2 defeats that includes only defeats to Paris Saint-Germain exclusively it seems Um has they Eric? Have they finally, Gorvenek finally got this club to click in the right way? Yeah, it, it's really impressive. He's, he's been doing it without some of the more heralded heralded players. I mean, Yusuf Sabali has been a decent attacking right back for on, on his various loans, both from PSG in the recent past. But he's been injured for, throughout this. Milan Gaik's coming in his place and has done really well. Adam Unas has been probably the most talked about of that cadre of young attackers that Bordeaux have, but I think we've, we've seen the team get really incredible performances from Francois Camino, who had come in from Bastia, and Malcolm, who had come in last winter from Brazil, and both of them have done really well, and as well as Valentin Bada, who's forced his way into the team in the past three or four months 
uh, in place of, well, since the arrival of Yunus Sakare, in place of Yaroslav Plasil. And it's, it's been really impressive to see this. Those, those three attackers, Striker Gates on the board, and Vada have great movement, have a great understanding. They're all young. I think Laborde's the senior of the group at 22 or 23. And that really bodes well for the team's future. I had written this in The Guardian uh, a few weeks ago. And, and not only that, but in the match against Lille, Lille were self-destructing. They were flying into every tackle. It was a miracle that only two of their players got sent off. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot to be said for Bordeaux's comeback. They had gone... 1-0 up, and then 2-1 down in a matter of minutes. And it looked like a very dire situation. But to see a really young team, and they are also playing uh, Jovanovic, the Saint, uh, Zenit Loney in central defense, and he got done by Adair uh, for, for, the, for the penalty there. I, but the fact of the matter is this team is, is a young team, with the, with the exception of Sankare, Tulalan, and, and even Paolo is a veteran, but he doesn't have a ton of experience in league. I mean, this is only his second season. So... The team are showing a, quite a bit of gumption, quite a bit of ability to come back, to respond to adverse situations, to play with a, a great level of energy, a great level of enthusiasm. And it's it's been really impressive. I, I, I hope two, two things. I hope that, A, Bordeaux get into Europe. They finish fifth or sixth, if, if sixth is indeed a European spot. And I also, I also hope that they are able to keep these young players going into next summer, maybe make Sabali a permanent signing, and continue to build this team around youth. Because we've seen time and again in Ligue 1, youth can be a really viable option for success in this league. Leon did it in 2014-15. Monaco are doing it right now. Again, this is I know Glick and Falcao have been massively important, but much of the rest of that team is 23 or younger. And there's no reason that Bordeaux couldn't follow a similar tempo. I know they don't have the same financial resources of the teams that I've just mentioned, but the importance and the ability of young players to make a difference in this league has been proven time and again. And I think that absolutely Grovnik's really onto something. He's got a young, exciting players and a tactical system that fits them, and he's got just the right amount of spine there to, to balance things out in the likes of Sankare, Plasso when he plays, and, and Tulalan, and it's it's been really impressive to see. I think that, I mean, obviously Monaco get the plaudits, but besides they and PSG, Bordeaux are probably the most, one of the more attractive teams to watch in Liga right now. Even if they don't always score goals, there's this movement, there's this ability with the ball at their feet, the goals that Unas had scored, and Unas is another one who had been out of favor due to injury and the form of the form of Kamino and, and Malcolm, they had, had barely featured, but then he comes on and scores two goals. You've got that in your locker as a substitute. Incredibly talented player. And yeah, there's a lot of potential for this team, and I, I really do hope that they, they can achieve a modicum of success that will give them the ability to even push on, but perhaps challenge for the Champions League next season. Yeah, and it's good to see a player like Unas, who's been on the fringes, had issues with the with the club in uh, recent months and bits, and come back and make a statement and really play out of his skin almost. And they've got so many attacking players that are really interesting. And Young, like you mentioned, Eric, they, they could be an exciting team this season and in the future. Um, we finished this week with a round of Cine Possible because there's plenty to talk about this week for crazy incidents in Liga. I'll start with you, Philip. You've kept it a mystery from us. So what couldn't you believe this week? I couldn't believe that uh, George Monjek didn't score the opening goal for FC Mets at uh, Pacorel on, well, yesterday. It was yesterday. Uh, basically, it's the same 
probably not exactly the same. Maybe a bit more difficult to tap in than what uh, uh, Dupai did for the first goal, but uh, an extremely easy tap in for some reason. I'm not even sure if he slips or, or something, uh, but uh, the ball actually goes behind his leg and it uh, somehow trickles out of the goal mouth. And uh, this was after a couple of seconds, so it would have changed the game. Well, probably, probably wouldn't have, but uh, it was, yeah, um, amazing to amazing to witness uh, such uh, such a glaring miss. Eric, your follows on from the Bordeaux point, but you have a mention of, of Lille's disciplinary record at the moment. What what would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I was speaking with with Mo Muhammad Ali, who's been on the show plenty, uh, about Lille's disciplinary record, and that being something that's going to hinder this team staying up. They had two players sent off. Rio Mavuba on his return, uh, straight uh, a straight red for something he had said to the official. And Julian Palmieri was shown two yellows, and that's four red cards in three matches for Lille. Now we've talked about this team being a potential relegation candidate, and some people have said, "Oh, they're too talented. They go down. They have all these players they brought in." The fact of the matter is, as we've seen with Bastia, it's really difficult to pick up points when you don't finish a match with eleven men, and that's been the case. And even yet, even the match on Saturday, they had a handful of bookings, but they could have had more. There were some really sharp challenges. And I think that whatever the attitude is, whether it's frustration at their situation, that is they're standing in the table, whether it's wanting to impress a new manager and posse by really giving some full-blooded challenges, that needs to be addressed. Because it's, it's, I don't think, if it's not corrected, it's not bitten Leo for the last time. And that's what could put them in to real relegation threat, not the form or the ability of the players on the pitch in terms of their attacking ability and their, or their defensive ability, but just simply to play with a level head and to play in a, in a manner that's calm and is, is disciplined enough to, to reach success in this league. And that's, that's, yeah, that's the problem for me with Lille. I, I think they really need to rein that in if they're going to have a chance at staying in this division. Yeah, it was a strange one, isn't it, to see so many red cards in, in so many games. I, I'm going to finish off with three different stories because there's that many moments in Liga. And I'll, I'll do the two negative ones first and then the then the positive one. And that I'll start off with a, a strange story that I, I first heard on the European football show last night, which is which is Leon in midweek ha, had a youngster run on the pitch and take a selfie with Alexander Lacazette and Memphis Depay. Uh, the club are now trying to sue the young 15-year-old for um, for trying to do the little stunt. And it was during the game, which is something we should frown upon. But it's maybe a little bit far to try and uh, sue a young lad for that. It does seem a strange situation. We'll see how that unfolds. The other poor one is uh, the angriest man in, in Corsica, which is... Uh, a title that should be benefiting of Yannick Kawasak, which is it must be a difficult one to get. But when you get so many red cards, that's his third red card this week in four games. Uh, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable record. He gets sent off if you've not seen it. We've got it on our Twitter feed. He knocks um, the fourth official's um, scoreboard out of his hands 
as he's leaving the pitch. Um, luckily, that didn't drop Bastia to ten men as he was technically leaving the field, uh, leaving the field of play as a replacement. So they remain with eleven men with less he's, on the he's bench. He's improving then. I mean, he 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 keeps getting sent off, but at least his teams doesn't uh, doesn't go down to ten men. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> at least he's he's focused. We, we can applaud him for that. <laughs> his anger is at least in a slightly better place. Let's say. Uh, he, but I've already mentioned that if he was on Football Manager, he wouldn't be earning earning a weekly wage for me. I don't think that's too many red cards. Um, but I want to finish on a real positive point, and we've mentioned it on our uh, column in the Guardian this week, and that's uh, Mikel Lebian, who came on for Nice and scored two goals, seventeen months out. Um, we mentioned it on Thursday. We were, we didn't think he would start. We thought it would be Donis and him trying to prove his point. He definitely didn't in those first 55, 60 minutes. And Lebian made a real difference. Scored two great goals. Really great to see him back on the football field and. Could he be a catalyst for their potential title bust still? Uh, will remain to be seen, but it's great to see him back on the field regardless of that. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Daniel, who joined us earlier, Eric and Philip. Uh, join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday, and we will see you at the same time, same place next week. I'll be on tour, and goodbye.